Emma and Tom Talk Teaching, a podcast about all things education, presented by Emma Thayer and Tom Breeze. Episode 8, Numeracy Across the Curriculum with Richard West. Welcome back to Emma and Tom Talk Teaching. We have a special episode for you today. We are going to be interviewing a special guest. Our special guest, drumroll please, is Richard West, who is a school colleague currently working at Stanwell School in Penarth, one of our kind of long-standing partnership schools, also a lead partnership school at our programmes here at Cardiff Metropolitan University. And Richard, you could probably talk to us about any number of things on this podcast but today you're going to be talking to us about your role as numeracy coordinator in the school but before you do welcome to the podcast how are you doing very well thank you thanks for having me in <laughs> no problem and obviously we've worked together very closely over the years because you're actually a physical or have been a physics mentor for us um, at Cardiff Met and you'd probably identify first of all as a physics teacher yes yeah that's, I think that's accurate <laughs> good so Tell us about the numeracy coordinator role. First of all, you know, what does it entail and why did you want to go for it? Because I know that uh, through our conversation before we even started uh, recording this podcast was that actually you're not a specialist of numeracy. You are a, a specialist and an expert in physics. So just tell us a little bit about how that role came to be. Okay. Yeah. Thanks, Emma. Well, it's interesting what you say about being a specialist of numeracy because... This is a, a fundamental misconception with what numeracy is, which is it's not mathematics, which is very much the academic subject. I think with numeracy, it's about being able to apply your knowledge of mathematics, mathematical concepts, understanding in context. And as a physicist, that is very much my specialty because we spend our whole existence as physicists applying laws of nature, whether they're written or mathematical, to solve problems. And that's, that's what we... That's what we do as our raison d'etre. So becoming a numeracy coordinator felt like a very logical transition from as a physics teacher. That was that was something I was good at doing, putting maths into context mm. and using it to solve problems. So that, that was a nice, as I said, it felt a very logical progression in my career and a good, a good opportunity to offer something a bit different to the role than perhaps a specialist math teacher would. Um, so whilst I'm not a mathematics specialist and there are gaps in my knowledge of maths compared to a maths teacher... I might perhaps be a bit more able to spot where maths can be applied and, and ways to support staff in doing that. So my role as a coordinator, there are several parts of it, one of which is supporting staff to deliver numeracy competently and confidently in their lessons. So identifying where staff need more support, giving them training, giving them advice on how they could include numeracy in their lessons as well, um, and how best to, to go about teaching it when they need to teach a skill or how to, to, to use contexts to make it more relevant for the students. As well, alongside that, it's also curriculum planning, especially in the current environment with the new curriculum for Wales coming in sort of from September 2022. We're, we're certainly in our school, we're aiming to be ready for year seven mm-hmm. along the original deadline. Yeah. And I've been in the role just over a year now, so I have very, very much viewed my priority as being more towards developing for the new curriculum than putting a lot of work into supporting the existing. Um, the outgoing numeracy coordinator had done a huge vol- volume of work supporting our existing curriculum. So I'm, I'm thinking ahead and looking forwards and, as well. 
So just as a bit of a service to our listeners who are not serving teachers in Wales, we should probably drop the bombshell here that all teachers in Wales, as well as being teachers of whatever it is they teach, are also teachers of numeracy. They're also teachers of literacy. They're also teachers of digital competence. So can you just kind of give us a quick whistle-stop explanation for people who are not familiar with that fact as to how we've ended up in this situation and what it is that's expected of teachers who maybe not be maths teachers? Yeah, thanks, Tom. Um, well, it was been identified years ago as a massive weakness in educational standards in Wales, the standard of literacy and the standard of numeracy from things like PISA scores. We've performed very poorly internationally for some years now. And I think it was Leighton Andrews. It was. Yes, it was. My memory serves <laughs> yeah. when, I, when I trained, who was yes. the education minister who brought in the LNF, as we called it, the literacy and numeracy framework, as a way of trying to support the progress of students in their literacy and numeracy and increase national testing scores, try and improve standards because it's a huge problem not just for students in Wales but for adults as well is is lack of literacy and lack of numeracy. It causes huge issues for people's ability to access positive outcomes in their whole lives, I think, rather than just for pupils in school. Mm. And ultimately that's our most important thing to do as teachers is to prepare pupils to become adults and to go off into the world isn't it so the idea of the LNF was that teachers across the curriculum would include literacy and numeracy opportunities in their lessons to help pupils develop the skills and with our new curriculum in Wales which I'm sure you've talked to your listeners about already but with the the new structure with the six areas of learning experience and there are then the cross-curricular skills they've slightly rebranded them um, into one skills or some skills frames work, frameworks now. So we have the literacy framework, the numeracy framework and the digital competence framework as well. The idea being that throughout their lessons across the school, they will see similar skills in literacy. They'll see similar skills from numeracy and similar skills from digital competence. These skills are all about, as I mentioned earlier, applying into context, being able to understand how to do something and then being able to do it in different situations. Because whilst we're teaching subjects in school, it's very unlikely that most of our students will go on to need the knowledge we're going to impart. But they are going to need is to be able to apply skills in contexts which don't even exist yet. It's a very ambitious and very optimistic and very forwards-looking view of education, mm-hmm. I think. I suppose it's a harder road than saying we're going to have new subject domains of literacy and numeracy, making us all be deliverers of those skills. It's it's back to what you're saying about being applied, I suppose, isn't it? Absolutely. And this is one of the most important things about, certainly as a numeracy coordinator, is looking for good opportunities for numeracy in lessons. It shouldn't just be about, oh, I've got to do this, so I'm going to get my large teaching crowbar and shoehorn something into a lesson just for the sake of doing it. And I think that does a disservice to the pupils because then they recognise just as easily we're doing this to tick a box. And you've got to try to get away from that, which is a hugely important message I've certainly been delivering to my colleagues in my time in the role is I don't want people to feel that they have to teach numeracy just for the sake of teaching it. Certainly Mm -hmm. as experienced teachers, if it's not naturally going to fit into your curriculum, if it's not going to naturally fit into your lessons, then don't put things in there just just because, just because you, you feel like you have to. It's, the whole point of the numeracy should be organic. Mm-hmm. And there are opportunities in all subjects for numeracy to happen authentically with good context in, in an interesting way that helps the pupils. It might happen 
every lesson in some sciences, certainly in physics, I find myself using something from the numeracy framework, most, if not every lesson, I would say. I know in geography and PE, they'll use a lot of numeracy, perhaps in art as well. Some subjects like music, languages, drama, the, the opportunities are less frequent, but that doesn't mean that they can't be rich opportunities when they arise. And I, I think that's not a negative thing that you're not doing it often. And I think that's a trap, especially student teachers can fall into feeling I've got to tick all these boxes because realistically we do need to see evidence, don't we, in, the, in their PGCE year that they are able to deliver numeracy in their lessons. And that becomes a little bit more difficult perhaps because they may be unlucky with their timing with when they're teaching certain schemes of learning or schemes of work when they will come across the numeracy aspects that might already exist. So that adds a bit more challenge for them. You've hit the nail on the head, really. It's this uh, this issue that we grapple with all the time as initial teacher educators about ensuring that student teachers have the skills, the knowledge, the ability to um, do all of these things at the right moment, but to make it meaningful and to, to avoid devaluing the numeracy by making it a tick box exercise or devaluing subject when we try and kind of shoehorn things in we're trying to do cross-curricular things you know reducing whatever it is that you're trying to get into its lowest common denominator or the lowest form and you said something interesting there about in some instances incorporating numeracy might be organic so it might kind of arise as an opportunity that presumably you'd only be able to capitalize on if your numeracy skills as a teacher yourself were pretty good but then also conversely thinking about schemes of work um sort of medium term and thinking like where are the opportunities to do this med- you know meaningfully so with the teachers who you work with who maybe don't see numeracy as a, a really common bedfellow to their subject discipline what kind of approaches do you recommend that they take so that a they feel confident to if it should arise organically in a lesson to really capitalise on that moment to develop numeracy and B, to kind of plan for it in a way that makes it meaningful. Mm. So I think if you're a less numerate subject, where it, which is a very clear difference, as you say, for numeracy compared to literacy, which really is everywhere, keeping it simple, I think there's nothing to, there's nothing to be feared by feeling like you're doing things that are too straightforward for the level of challenge for the pupils is, is one thing to think about. We had some really interesting discussions the last last week, actually, with some of my line managers and senior colleagues about this, talking about challenge in the new curriculum. And I made the point that actually applying skills out of context is fundamentally very difficult. Students find that really hard. I know this from my experience in physics, where even at year 11, even in sometimes year 12 or year 13, students sometimes are quite slow and struggle at first applying skills from maths to something like rearranging an equation. Well, they're taught in year seven how to do this. It's swap sides, swap signs, typically would be the sort of thing taught. So those aren't hard skills. They're not groundbreaking. But the fact they have to apply them in a totally different context, and it's not in a maths classroom, that can throw them out sometimes. So it's perfectly acceptable to feel like, this is, is this too easy? If you're asking yourself the question, is this too easy for my year seven class? Well, chances are it probably isn't. You know, and there's nothing wrong, I don't feel, with looking a little bit further back in, in the frameworks and thinking, okay, maybe we should be targeting them at progression step three on our new framework, but let's look in progression step two because it is much more difficult for them to apply these more basic skills. 
So that'd be something I'd think about there. So it doesn't ever have to be particularly advanced. If it's a good opportunity to, to, to do something numerate, then don't worry about it being particularly challenging at first mm. because the students will need support and they'll need time to, to realise that numeracy can happen in a different context. In terms of how to deliver, forward planning is important. And I think realistically, if you are teaching in a subject where numeracy happens less often, you would look at that and think, okay, this is going to be a good opportunity. What sort of things could I do? What questions could I ask? Can I do these calculations myself? You know, and simple things, something that comes up a lot of the time is something like percentages. Okay, lots of subjects find good opportunities for using percentages. I really like to talk about numbers in context. I had an RE teacher at my school, actually, head of RE, had a fantastic concept he'd brought in from an old school, which is the idea of, is it a lot? A really simple question, looking at a number, is that a lot of people? I'm going to be talking to BGC students tomorrow, actually, in, in my school about this. And a great example I like to use is the number 18 million, which is approximately the number of adults in the UK who don't have primary school equivalent maths. And that causes tremendous problems for people's ability to to live their lives effectively. But is that a lot of people? Well, you don't know that until you look at how many people that's out of. So it, it, as a total, and I don't think people do this often enough, generally looking at a number and thinking, is that a lot of money compared to what it's actually talking about? So percentages are a really good thing to practice and a good thing to sort of use in lessons because it's a very effective way of thinking about numbers. So again, and again, a very simple mathematical skill there's a nice literacy aspect to that, talking about the idea of a cent and where do you see words with cent meaning 100 mm. as well. So you can link it to literacy as well. And not being afraid to ask for help is very important for staff. So if we have staff who are less comfortable, a huge part of my strengths in the role I feel starting out is that I have good relationships across the school from cross-curricular events I've been involved in from my time in the school to build up positive relationships with colleagues is so important. Mm. So I feel I'm quite approachable for colleagues to come and ask for assistance. And there's, there's no judgment attached to that. It's very much a case of I'm, I'm very passionate about maths and numbers and science and things being done properly and, and well and effectively. And I'm always chuffed to feel that somebody wants to get that right in their lessons. So I will always find the time to help them with that. I'm thinking about this now. We, we did a lovely episode with our colleague Cameron Stewart about maths, you know, in which we were talking about the fact that maths almost uniquely has a fear factor around it, you know, all things to do with numbers. And as you were speaking there, I was sort of, there was the mischievous part of me, which is quite a big part of me, was sort of imagining people <laughs> diving into doorways as they see you coming down the corridor. You know, how much of a fear factor is there or was there perhaps amongst the teachers you work with? How much work did you have to do to actually sell this as a thing that needed to be done amongst specialists of subjects that, as you say, perhaps haven't traditionally considered this as part of their job? Well, actually, I think the messaging has helped in rather than turning around and saying, yes, you should be doing numeracy all the time. The fact that I'm much more of a mind of don't try to shoehorn in, don't take away from what makes your subject special and unique. Just look for the opportunities and when they are there, take take them effectively. But don't feel like you have to be doing it all the time. I think that's been an, a well-appreciated message because staff can feel quite beleaguered by the number of things that we end up on with our to-do lists every lesson, especially in the current climate with the extra restrictions and the extra workload we have because of COVID. So that's that's helped. I think the biggest th that you talk about a fear factor, 
this this goes wider than school actually and it's something i feel very passionately about is is a societal thing we have a very negative attitude towards mathematics not just in wales i think in the uk as a whole actually where it's almost considered like a badge of honor to say oh i'm ter- i was terrible at maths at school or i was no good at maths Whereas, you wouldn't say I can't read. Would you? you wouldn't say I can't read. And my, my, my colleague, the literacy, who's a literacy coordinator, would always say, but you, would, you probably would be happy to admit you couldn't spell, which is a, a very good comeback and a very valid point as well. And this is so deep rooted. So I have a, my, my abiding memory of this was actually as a parent of a very young child a few, quite a few years ago now, being sat very early in the morning with Postman Pat on the television. And there was a, there was a job swap in the village. And they had, I think, the farmer teaching in the primary school. And he turned around at the start of the day, right, we're going to start the day with maths. And all the children groaned and complained. And I was sat there thinking, well, what sort of message are we instilling then in our young people from from that sort of age, from a very young age, that this is this horrible negative subject? And we can try all we might, I believe, as, as, a, as a country to impart these initiatives based on positive math teaching in other, in other countries where outcomes are much much higher until we actually change the societal dialogue i don't think we're ever going to see the same level of progress and this is a this is something i've said to staff as well so we're we're not going to change outcomes in our students unless we can change attitudes so what i'm asking staff to do i'm not asking any staff to turn around and pretend they suddenly love maths all of a sudden that's that's unrealistic and not fair but we can just subtly change how we word things so rather than saying oh i was terrible at maths in school I wish I did a bit better at maths at school because it would have really helped me now. Would be a, a much more positive message to send to students without really betraying your own feelings because maths is a skill we need every day in our lives. Numeracy, you know, the ability to budget, work out travel rates, exchange rates for foreign foreign currency. I think what maths teaches you, because you always get asked these questions in maths lessons and I sometimes get it as a physics teacher as well. So why do we have to do algebra? Why do we have to do trigonometry? And, and the why of maths is a very difficult sell. But ultimately, by doing maths, what we're, what we're learning when we work through mathematics is we're learning the value of thought process being logical, of working step by step, problem solving, and that sort of methodical approach to something. Now, as a gigging musician, I've had to that idea of a methodical approach well that's how I practice you know that that approach to something that's a mindset that's an attitude towards not just solving numbers that that can be applied in so many different contexts and there's a lot of common ground about mindset which I feel is actually shared just poorly communicated and what we're doing when we're building up proficiency in maths lessons by practicing and practicing all these examples is actually we're trying to build up a way of approaching something which is such a useful technique to have for so many other contexts and i suppose if the why is difficult to answer in maths it's maybe a little bit easier to answer in that applied Mm. numeracy concept if it comes to a subject that you like indeed and i think this is one of the things that can be really good with numeracy done well is you might have a student who doesn't particularly enjoy for example pe might not enjoy their exercise but PE offers some very rich opportunities for for numeracy, things like measurement, timing. But you give them a, a task which involves a bit of numeracy, maybe with a few little extensions. Well, that's something straight away they can cling to because, oh, I quite like maths. I'm good at maths. Gives them a way into lessons which they might not otherwise have. 
But I think the converse can be true as well. I think as, as, a, as maths teachers, there's a real opportunity for using, especially in the new curriculum, other curriculum contexts in maths lessons. So the role of a numeracy coordinator can be can thought of as bringing maths into other subjects. It's a bit crude, but it's, it's ultimately where I'm coming from. Um, as I said, I would call it numeracy rather than maths, perhaps. But there's equal value to bringing other subjects into maths lessons. So the contexts for problems and the context for worksheets sometimes are things that they have seen in school, things that they have seen in their lives. This could be expanded as well, actually. We were talking about opportunities for bringing numeracy into music, something I feel quite passionate about because, as I mentioned, I'm a musician and I know that numeracy is massively important for my work as a musician. You know, counting rests, intervals, rhythm, polyrhythm, metronome markings. There's so much rich numeracy in, in the music, especially when you're reading it. And it's very difficult when you look down the framework of numeracy points to find out exactly what it is that we're doing when we're doing music. It's quite generic. But something we talked about was, well, actually, as working musicians, what numeracy skills do you need? Because you need quite a few. Filling out a tax return is no mean feat every year. Documenting distances and mileages, being able to calculate insurance claims. If you are charging for, for gigs, if you are self-employed, trying to work out how much to charge, working out what hourly rate you might be on. There's a lot of actually really interesting maths into being a musician. So that's something we thought of. It will be a really interesting thing to give students a few lessons on as, as a project, you know, what is it like to actually be a musician? Not to just study music in school, because there's going to be students there who, who would be interested in being musicians in the future. Well, that's just, it gives them a, a, a real insight into how can our numeracy skills help us in the future. Something that really struck me, a lot of things have, but uh, I would probably be one of those people. In fact, I was saying to myself as I was walking to work today that I was going to have a metaphorical swear jar (laughs) (laughs) um, with regard to numeracy, because I would probably in the past be somebody who is proliferating this negative attitude about and mindset about numeracy and would probably have been guilty of saying all the things that you said were probably not good to say. But something that struck me when you were speaking was that when you said about the parallels with vocabulary and you spoke to the literacy coordinator and they said you probably wouldn't admit or you would admit that your spelling wasn't so good. And when you mentioned about logic and grammar, those things are quite finite. There is a right or wrong, like there is a wrong to grammar. There is a wrong way of spelling. And there are those things in numeracy and maths that make it equally as fearful. It's that exposure of oh no, I'm wrong. And so when there is that, you know, high stakes, there is more of a right and wrong, you might be out of kind of self-preservation, more open to saying, I just, I just can't do this. Whereas there's a whole dimension to maths, isn't there? Like you said, with the problem solving, which is all about growth mindset. It's about, okay, I haven't got the right answer yet. I haven't got there yet. But there is still this other side of it, which is that fear factor of if I say the wrong answer now, when I'm supposed to be working out mentally what this answer is, then I'm a fool. I'm a fool straight away. I got it wrong. That's very interesting. And that's something we've talked about with our new curriculum conversations as well, because you talked about the growth mindset. Resilience, it it does build resilience because it is difficult sometimes. Well, Mm. a lot of the time and for some students more than others. And this is a wider fear factor isn't it for of failure of, of right and wrong and it's you've 
it's really interesting talking about that idea of that finite yes or no. It's, it's either right or it isn't. And in some aspects of literacy, perhaps there's a little bit more grey area. Some things have rules, some things don't. So I think that may well be part of it. There's almost a nervousness then, isn't there, when people will say, just, just oh, I can't do it. And almost like they're nervous to even think about it. And trying to break down that barrier of actually, no, it's perfectly acceptable. In fact, it's encouraged, I would say, to, to get things wrong because the mistakes are a much better learning experience than just getting things right all the time, aren't they? And then I wonder for a teacher, if we're trying to develop the growth mindset of teachers, because we do have this kind of millstone in the profession for, for, right, for good intentions that we have to be right for the students. So, for example, if we go back to spelling things right on the board, that fear factor of I'm going to spell this word now and oh my goodness, I've forgotten, I've forgotten, I've forgotten, I can't. Do you not write it? Do you admit to your learners that you're not sure and then model growth mindset and what steps? you would take to get it right you know so do we maybe sometimes do teachers a disservice by kind of insisting that you have to have everything absolutely right before you teach that numeracy mm. lesson or you will have failed the kids <laughs> and I know I'm being facetious there but no I th that's a very interesting point and again maybe a more of a trap for student teachers feeling the the burden of trying to be perfect at everything straight away mm. you're going to make mistakes you know, I'm, I'm an experienced teacher. I make mistakes regularly with things on the board. Sometimes it's just because I've miscalculated something. I might forget a unit. It might misspell now and again. Spelling is usually pretty good. I'm quite proud of that. But we all make, we all make little mistakes. And yeah, yeah. you can absolutely model to students how to deal with that. Mm. And it's quite it's nice that somebody will usually spot something, um, especially higher up the school with, with the more able classes at A-level physics as well. There's some absolutely astounding mathematicians in some of my classes who are better mathematicians than I am, uh, without a doubt. And sometimes they will spot something that I might have missed. And I love that. I love the fact that they have the, co the confidence to be able to call out and say, actually, so that's wrong, or to challenge it. I think that's very important in terms of a relationship with the students to feel that actually the, their opinion is not just going to be immediately thrown away. I'll look at it again. And if, if they're correct, then I'm, I'm always very happy to be corrected. And I because I feel that's a great opportunity to make the point. Oh, I'm always making mistakes. Mm. Well, we, we always get things wrong. So that's something we can learn from. Yeah. You know, and I think that's a very good opportunity to, to be positive. The, the key there is, as a teacher, modelling it the right way. And actually, if, if, you, if you do realise you've got something wrong or say you've taught something in a lesson you realize a bit later i've told that completely the wrong way around i remember doing this in my first year with teaching beta decay and i, I got my protons and neutrons mixed up when i was teaching them how the mechanism and i realized that evening or a bit later that day thinking about the lesson i thought oh, i've got that the wrong way around next lesson i had to just go back to look i'm really sorry i've got this backwards can you go back we need to correct it and being a, being not afraid to admit that mistake and, and learn from it Similarly, if you get asked a question, you can't answer. This is always the highlight of my week when somebody asks me. I get asked some great questions and I've had some lessons recently which have been thrown off course by the questions that people ask. And again, it's modelling, isn't it? You think, rather than just saying, oh, I don't know, I will always try to answer to the best of my knowledge. Sometimes it's more of a guesstimate. But then to me, I say, well, but listen, I'm, I'm going to go and look that up because I'm not entirely sure and I'll come back to you when I've, when I've researched it that that's, that sends a powerful message to students of their opinion their questions are valid and how to then deal with 
not knowing something. Mm, mm. So I think, I think we can be really positive role models for the students, not because we're perfect all the time, because that's an unrealistic role model, realistically, isn't it? So, but how do we deal with mistakes? How do we learn from them? And mathematics offers a lot of opportunity for building growth mindset, thinking as from a maths point of view rather than a numeracy one. You know, working through solutions, making mistakes, learning from them, correcting them. How you deal with something when you haven't done very well. It offers a lot of opportunities for building that resilience in pupils and trying to break down that fear of failing. One of the luxuries we have, I suppose, of working with student teachers is we do get a fair bit of time to chew this stuff over. And at the risk of going with a subject-specific example, again, I know we've had some really interesting times in PGC Music, you know, where we've we've perhaps laughed at the notion of scraping the bottom of the numeracy barrel by saying, oh, we, we address numeracy by saying one, two, three, four before we start playing, which is obviously mad. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but we've also had some really profound experiences. You know, my colleague Viv John has done a wonderful project in the past where we've gone to a museum and we've looked at um, numerical patterns in nature, the Fibonacci sequence. We've transferred that into composition we've blown everybody's minds and and had a wonderful time you know we've we've got an authentic context there which is really important it's really interesting it crosses across subject boundaries great you know but but we're we're doing that on a pgce program and um, i mean at the risk of asking you what what sounds like a question that is an, an interview for your role how do we facilitate that amongst serving teachers who are teaching 20 or more lessons a week and and maybe they're on board maybe you've, you've sold it to them but to create those sorts of really meaningful experiences, it takes a certain amount of investment. It absolutely does. And and this is the, the critical thing is, is time, isn't it? When do you find the time to create a meaningful experience? Because especially in a subject like music, it, it, I think it really is about something a bit more bespoke because it doesn't, it does fit naturally in, but not in a way where you, as you say, counting to four. It's not, that's probably... A little bit too early in terms of that lack of, you know, we talked to, I talked to you about this idea of, yeah, it's okay to, to be a level below perhaps, but that, that may be a little that. bit too, a little bit too low. Yes. Although I do remember doing something in 22.8 once, which I think was quite challenging. Um, I think there it is about working smarter. It's working as a team. I think as a numeracy coordinator, I can be very helpful here in terms of working with staff and the, the, the initial thoughts process is, is often the hardest thing. The creation of resources, making the PowerPoints, booklets, making the lesson, that, that comes quite easily to most staff, I would say. But often it's the actual conception that's difficult, um, especially when you're not in your specialty. So trying to conceive the idea of how this could look and what the, what the numeracy is and how to teach it in the lesson, how to structure it for the students, that is more challenging. So that's where... A com you know, we can have a conversation over email or ideally face-to-face -face or talking is much more effective to say, well, this is how I might approach it. This You could try using these these ideas. And I love having those conversations, actually, because it's it's very rare these days in our jobs that we ever stop and think about our own teaching. It seems mm. frustrating. It seems the bottom of the barrel quite often. And I find whenever I have these conversations with colleagues about how they could deliver numeracy in their lessons, it makes me improve how I deliver it in my own because I actually stop and think about it and think, oh, that's a really good idea. I could try that. Mm. So it's that, that initial conceiving. And I think that's often where the biggest block might lie with some stuff. It's like, I can't think how we could get this numeracy into, into music. We had a similar conversation with drama. So we talked about, you know, what about designing sets, designing, designing theatre shows, actually putting on productions is a huge part of 
of that. There's, there's so much numeracy involved there straight away. And there's, there's a really good opportunities then for including it. So it's it's breaking down that initial barrier of, well, we can't do anything to think, oh, actually, no, you have you do this. What about this? How could that look? And then once staff have the idea, it formulates quite quickly. And then I can come back in at the end and check with them. Something I want to work on in my own school in terms of this idea of staff training, to go back to it, is what I'd love to have is is a resource for staff which they can dip in and out of of short help videos, which if they could even play in a lesson if, if if it was suitable to say, how do you calculate a percentage? How do you draw a good bar graph? That sort of thing. To have that sort of very quick facility for staff to just check their own skills. They wouldn't even need to then do the teaching, perhaps. If they're not confident, they can just press play three minutes later they're ready to go for the lesson. So I think that would be something really powerful to offer staff and certainly something I'm going to be working on going forward in my role. But yes, it's about having that conversation and just not being afraid to say, you know what, I can't think of anything here. What what, what can you think of? And when you sit down and put two brains together, usually, especially if they're from different subject areas, and usually you'll, you'll get something out of it which is powerful and which is useful. It really strikes me that a lot of what you've mentioned there is strategies are, you know, without wanting to sound too bang on message, but are things that come through in the professional standards for teaching and leadership in Wales, things like collaboration, you know, things like being innovative, but doing that, you know, through really good dialogue with with colleagues, you know, and taking the time to really think about what's going to work in the context of your subject, but also having that kind of culture in the school. I really like that idea of those short snappy support videos that culture so you you know where where you can go to look and it's a culture of support it's not a culture where you're maybe going to be tripping up and there's not enough out there to, to help you it's not a competitive culture it's a collaborative culture yeah, we're all in this together I think, yeah, yeah that, that that's something that's really shone through I think through the last few years as well with all the disruption we've faced in education I think it's really brought us together as a staff I certainly feel like that. I mean, our school is quite—it's quite a large number of pupils. It's over two thousand, and it's a, we don't see each other very often on the school day with very short lunch breaks, and we don't have much time to to talk out of our departments. It seems so. It's it's very nice to to make the time, even if it's just passing in a corridor sometimes. Mm-hmm. But it is an investment, you know. We the, the school has invested in our time off timetable for for the AOLE planning days, for example, which has been hugely useful for me as a numeracy coordinator just a few hours at the end of the day to see where the opportunities are to, to record it, but also to have good conversations, as you say. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, I think it comes down to attitude from, from myself, I think, as well. As I said, I, I do feel like I have got positive relationships across the school. I've put time into lots of other departments with other things I do. You know, playing with school shows has brought me together with the, the drama and the music departments, which might be a di- which would be a real sticking block, p- potentially, to, to my role as a numeracy coordinator, you know, the languages, uh, but I, I do an after-school Latin club, so I have a bit of, of a way in with the languages too. So I, I feel like I've managed to get myself positive relationships across the school and trying to just sort of investing in, in their culture as, rather than just expecting them to invest in mine, I think is quite important. I think that's really helped that that two-way. And as I, as I mentioned, I think it is very important because you don't want to sort of impose on everybody that they do all this extra work on top you know they're, they're teachers of French they're teachers of geography teachers of history teachers of music that, that, that's their job they should be teaching their subjects mm. and imparting their love of that subject and their knowledge to pupils to inspire them 
so they shouldn't be stopped from doing that by by having to do something else it should be how can numeracy enrich the experience that that students get of your subjects further with the, with the ultimate goal of the students becoming more numerate when they leave school so to give them better outcomes in the future Wonderful. Thank you very much for a deep discussion um, about numeracy. We're going to move on to our short slots now, which uh, as a rough guide usually take between 15 and 20 percent of our running time of an episode. (laughs) (laughs) You're trying to get brownie points. Look at that. (laughs) So uh, with that in mind, uh, have you got something interesting that you'd like to share with our audience? Well, as as a massive nerd for all things spacey, I would strongly recommend everybody to tune into the the launch of the James Webb Space Telescope in December because that's going to completely transform our understanding of the universe and give us some absolutely breathtaking images. Most I, f- I find most people are interested in space as a topic, so that could be something you could try looking at over Christmas. The, uh, the, the concept that we can build a mirror that's six and a half metres wide out of gold that's going to fold up and fit in a space rocket and not be shaken to smithereens and then there's going to be a tennis court sized sun shield that's going to unfurl in space as well. It's just folded up again. And it's, it's mind blowing. The level of human ingenuity. And I find that totally inspiring. I suspect with my teacher hat on, that's going to be beaming back some pictures, which will make some nice cross curricular stimuli fairly Absolutely. shortly. Absolutely. I mean, you've, you've got a great example there with, with the, the planet suite. Well, you're going to be able to get images of extrasolar planets or exoplanets in different solar systems with this telescope. So maybe you can start comp- ask students to compose a whole new set of planetary suites for, for planets yet to be imaged. And you've given us a whole host of things to try in this episode. But if you, I'm just perhaps thinking of um, teachers out there who haven't got the luxury of a numeracy coordinator in their school, what one kind of key thing would you get them to think about or to try out if they're thinking about trying to incorporate more numeracy into their curriculum? Okay, so something I've started doing more of recently and I found it's really helped me bring numeracy more effectively into my lessons is trying to take the students back to back to the basics of the the actual skill that they're using in that lesson Mm. and using context they might see in math so for example with year 11 we've been doing some energy calculations and part of that involves rearranging formulae sometimes solving for x or x squared essentially except they're not x's and x squareds they're different letters but I might give them some starter examples with an X in because they're very used to seeing four equals two X in maths and they can solve that in year seven. So that's a straightforward example. And if you were doing percentages in a lesson, you could ask them questions like so-and-so got 10 out of 20 on their test. What percentage did they get? I asked a nice question for my class of the day saying somebody got 28, somebody else got 30, who got a better mark? And then then that it opened the discussion for, oh, we need more information because we don't know what the test is out of. So that was quite a nice way of getting to think about that as well. Or, or you could use examples which often go down well. Uh, I've got a bag of 40 sweets. If I give 20% of them to students, how many I left with, that sort of thing. So if you, I, I find if you make things about food or sweets, that often gives a nice way in for students. <laughs> they seem to be able to do that. And, or money as well, you know, if calculating a difference. So if I spend a £10 in the shop on an £8 item, how much money have I got left over? But quite often in, in physics, 
the maths itself is actually quite straightforward. It's just the context is a bit bizarre. So you give them the maths skill in a context they're very familiar with or an everyday context, which is very familiar as well. And that way you give the students a way to succeed early in the lesson and doing some basic examples that they can do before you start throwing very large numbers at them. For example, if you were using census data about populations in, in RE, in my, in my own subject, if we're using, some, we have to deal with numbers which range from impossibly small to mind-blowingly large quite often, sometimes at the same time. So before you throw very big or small numbers at the students, get used to the skill in a familiar context every day, so they see in maths, something they've seen in other subjects. If you, if you have the luxury of knowing what sort of things they've been taught or that you've done on a previous topic, but yeah, make sure it's relatable at the start and not too difficult initially so that they see the maths and they get that first. I think that's so important because I think we lose students very quickly if we expect them to be able to a- apply straight away. Mm-hmm. And I, I've sort of increasingly realised that my numeracy teaching in physics and science is more effective when I assume they can't do it first or assume they know nothing. Mm-hmm. So never assume they've been taught it in maths, they can do it check first with some simple examples, build the confidence because it's more straightforward and then start looking at how you could employ that and apply it to what you're teaching in the lesson and how it's going to be relevant. Richard West, a passionate defence of all things numerate, a very very refreshing in a podcast normally populated by slightly arty types. It's been really nice to have you in this episode and an absolute wealth of things for people to go forward and try now so thank you very much for being with us today indeed my mindset's growing we'll see you in two weeks time thank you very much you've been listening to emma and tom talk teaching a podcast about all things education presented by emma thayer and tom breeze The special guest this episode was Richard West, who's the Numeracy Coordinator at Stanwell School in Penarth. Thanks to Richard for coming along today. Podcast artwork is by Beth Blanford and the music is by Cameron Stewart. We're on Twitter at TalkTeachingPod, so drop us a message. We'll be back in a fortnight with something else interesting. Until then, take care and enjoy teaching.